This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today we'll be talking about Tyrannotitan as well as a bunch of dinosaur news. And we just want to say thank you to our Patreon supporters. We just got an email from Patreon that the page will be getting a facelift soon. So look out for those changes in the next few weeks. Since it's getting to the end of the month, thank you to Kyle and Chris our patrons who have chosen the reward level where we give a shout on our show. So, hey. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you very much. And we really appreciate all that you do. As always, if you have any dinosaur requests, please let us know. And for our other listeners out there, if you'd like to support our show, then please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash I know dino. Also, in our last episode, we had a special interview with Brad Jost from the Jurassic Park podcast, and I just want to mention that we did a crossover, so Garrett and I are also featured on his podcast, episode 34, so you should check it out. Now on to the news. First in the news is an article titled, A Juvenile Chasmosaurian Ceratopsid from Dinosaur Park Formation, Alberta, Canada. And quick thanks to Luke, who sent us some links on this story via Patreon. Yeah. So it was written by Philip J. Curry, who we interviewed in Episode 4, as well as some others. It was published in the Journal of Vertebrate Paleontology, and it's about another great find from the Dinosaur Park Formation in Dinosaur Provincial Park in Alberta, Canada. And it's looking more and more like a great place to go for dinosaur enthusiasts. So they think what they found is a juvenile Chasmosaurus. It's about 1.5 meters or 5 feet long, and it's nearly complete, only missing the front limbs, shoulder bones, and a few vertebrae. It's also well-developed for a dinosaur of its size. It has a skull and a narrow frill, much like a protoceratops, but many of the cranial bones have fused, and the horns have completely solidified. Sometimes younger dinosaurs tend to have bones that aren't fused, and there can be air spaces in the middle of their horns. So it's a little bit unusual for such a small dinosaur to be so complete and relatively well-developed. It has 18 teeth, while an adult Chasmosaurus has 27 or more teeth. The specimen really is remarkable, though. It's so complete that it even includes skin impressions that are similar to those of mature Chasmosaurines. And they found a nearly complete sclerotic ring which is a fragile series of small bones that support the eye, and they form around the pupil, 
So lots of animals have these, including birds and reptiles. Mammals obviously don't. Our eyes don't have any bones around them. But they rarely fossilize, and the only other sclerotic ring ever recovered in a ceratopsid was from a 1917 Centrosaurus discovery. So it's been quite a while since we've seen one of these. But we have seen them in other dinosaurs, so they're known to be a dinosaur feature. And if you're having difficulty picturing bones on a pupil, when you go to a museum, a lot of times the way you can tell where the eye was in a fossil that's suspended in a museum is there'll be a little ring where its eye is. So that's actually that sclerotic ring. Yeah, and they just kind of assume that most dinosaurs probably had them and it gives you something to look at and know where the eyes were, but it's an actual bone or a series of bones. The specimen also included dozens of tendons, which were mostly along the spine. And you're probably aware that tendons aren't super common with dinosaur fossils, so that's cool too. There's a really neat picture of how the specimen was buried without any of the bones being scattered, and it shows a sinkhole which wiped out a few of the bones that are missing, including the front legs. It's estimated that it would have weighed less than 100 kilograms or 220 pounds, and it would have been about three years old. At full grown, it would have been in the ballpark of 2,000 kilograms and 4,400 pounds, so it kind of gives you an idea. It's about a 20th the size as an adult would be. Next in the news is another article about ceratopsians. It's titled, Positive Allometry for Exaggerated Structures in the Ceratopsian Dinosaur Protoceratops andrusi supports sociosexual signaling. And it was written by David Hone and others. So it was published in the journal Paleontologia Electronica. And Hone also wrote an article for The Guardian. The Guardian article is new and it had some new things in it, which I want to talk about. What they sought to find was how and why ceratopsian frills developed. So Hone describes how it's very difficult to find a good sample size of dinosaurs of different ages, but they managed to find 37 protoceratops thanks to a lot of recent discoveries in Mongolia. They compared the relative size of the frill and the rest of the skull in order to see how the frill was developing, and they showed that at a young age, protoceratops had a frill that was quote-unquote barely visible, but as an adult, the frill was as long as the rest of the skull, so it obviously both grew in absolute size, but even more so in relative size to the rest of its head. So Hone explains this by saying, quote, When they are young, their efforts are focused on surviving and growing and getting to sexual maturity to reproduce. So growing large and heavy structures or things that are brightly colored and might give you away to predators are eschewed. Then as maturity nears, these are important and suddenly grow quite quickly, end quote. He also points out that birds tend to get their bright colors later in life for those same reasons. And his hypothesis is that these protoceratops also are growing the frills as a way to differentiate as more attractive than the other protoceratops. So as far as alternate hypotheses, Hone says that protoceratops had a large hole in its frill, which would have made it much less effective at defense than some sort of display. And if the frills were used to identify each other just as a species generally, we would expect to see them in the juveniles as well as the adults. He does say that animals often have multiple signaling mechanisms, so we can learn more about how they communicated and grew 
when we discover more juveniles and maybe can look at more of their features. On to Jurassic World news, just because <laughs> it keeps popping up even though the movie came out about half a year ago. But we're all still really excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> so last week when we talked to Brad from Jurassic Park podcast, he mentioned that Jurassic World was the fourth highest grossing movie internationally after Avatar, Titanic, and the new Star Wars movie. This keyed our interest, and we looked at the top grossing dinosaur movies on the website Box Office Mojo. Specifically, we looked at a subset category, and they were, quote, movies in which dinosaurs either play a central role in the movies or its marketing, end quote. So the ranking of the movies, they only have 14 in the category. Apparently, there aren't a lot of dinosaur movies out there. Jurassic World is number one with 652 million domestic. In this category, they only show the domestic U.S. dollars. There's Jurassic Park is a number two, and then Jurassic Park, The Lost World after that. Then Ice Age Dawn of the Dinosaurs is number four before Jurassic Park 3, number five. Then that movie Dinosaur that came out in the year 2000, and it was a CGI Disney movie that was not super well received. Then there was The Good Dinosaurs at number seven right now. Then Land of the Lost is at number eight, which is, I guess there's dinosaurs in the marketing. Number nine is Land Before Time. These aren't adjusted for inflation, so when you get older, it becomes more difficult to compete. Then Walking with Dinosaurs at number 10. Baby Secret of the Lost Legends is number 11, which I have never heard of. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. Number 12 is Barney's Great Adventure. Number 13 is We're Back, A Dinosaur Story. I was surprised that one was so far down the list. It only made $9.3 million in 1993. And then the last one, number 14, is Flying Monsters, which I've also never heard of. But only came out in 2011, so... Maybe it's on Netflix? It could be. It must have been small budget because they only made $5.7 million. So, if you're looking for some more dinosaur movies to watch, you can check some of those out. Another piece of Jurassic World news is, according to JurassicWorld.org, Universal showed, quote, new Jurassic World footage during VR event at Sundance 2016, end quote. And from what I can tell, there wasn't any new Jurassic World VR at the event. It was just part of a VR event. And they showed some new Jurassic World footage. And this was on Saturday, January 23rd at 5 p.m. The event also apparently included a DJ performance. And since it was two hours long, it's hard to tell how much footage they actually showed. I don't know how a DJ performance relates to Jurassic World. But Maybe his name was DJ Dinosaur. Could be. <laughs> and I'm not sure why they chose to show extra Jurassic World material at Sundance, but it might have something to do with the fact that Colin Trevorrow released his first full feature at Sundance in 2012, and that kind of rocketed him to success, ultimately leading to him directing Jurassic World. So maybe it's he just likes Sundance a lot. Universal Studios and Samsung already released a VR experience for the Gear VR titled Jurassic World VR Experience, and then I think the only one that's out says Apatosaurus on the bottom. 
And it's a lot like the one we described of T-Rex where you're stationary and you can look around and then an apatosaurus comes up to you and starts like smelling you and stuff. <laughs> I can't find any more details on what was shown at Sundance, even though it was almost a week ago. So if you were at Sundance this year or you know what happened, let us know because we, we'd like to know what they showed there. Yeah. And thanks to Tori for pointing out that link to us via Twitter. This one's not exactly news, but I found it quite enjoyable to read. Forbes published a Quora post about what it would be like if dinosaurs lived today, and just wanted to share it for fun. So the question on Quora was, quote, what would happen if dinosaurs roamed the Earth today? End quote. And Ben Wagoner, PhD in integrative biology, a paleontologist, and an evolutionary biologist, answered, and he started with the fact that birds are around today and they're dinosaurs. And also pointed out that not all non-avian dinosaurs lived in the same time and place. So if all those non-avian dinosaurs were to come back today, quote, you'd have utter ecological chaos. However, if you're just looking at, say, a small set of dinosaurs that came back, say, some dinosaurs from the Hell Creek Formation in North America, he named some in particular, and Garrett had an issue with him calling Dakota Raptor a small predator. Yeah. I mean, considering it's bigger than just about any land predator now, alive today. I said, well, it's smaller compared to a T-Rex, but... Yeah, it is smaller than a T-Rex. That's kind of like saying it's smaller than a blue whale, so it's small, but... <laughs> I'm sure a T-Rex would have thought it was small. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, even if we had this group of dinosaurs from the Hell Creek Formation come back, we still wouldn't know quite what to expect since there weren't many flowering plants that lived at the same time as dinosaurs. And modern plants might actually be poisonous to dinosaurs. Also, predators such as T-Rex would eventually want to hunt and or scavenge, and they might go after some modern birds, such as turkeys. And herbivores, such as, say, a herd of triceratops, would also be pretty unpredictable. They'd probably demolish some downtown cities. And just uh, as a side note, one of my coworkers today shared with me a short story he had written about time travel and it had a small mention of dinosaurs and the idea is everybody suddenly figured out how to travel in time. Even animals could do it. And so people and animals are popping up at all different timelines and different places. And one of the characters ends up in like 1873 North America. And there's also a T-Rex there that figured out how to get there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, a digress, though, but it was an interesting story. Anyway, Ben ends his Cora answer on a humorous note that, quote, a photo of a poor baby Edmontosaurus threatens to displace the I can has cheeseburger cat as the most viral meme on the internet. Mm. So that's probably true. At least when they first arrived, and then people might get tired of seeing dinosaurs. I don't know. Yep. <laughs> Next in the news is a little Easter egg from The Good Dinosaur. So if you're fam really familiar, like crazy, fanatic familiar with Pixar, you might know that every Pixar movie has had the characters A113 written in it in one way or another. So in the original Toy Story and the sequels, it's the license plate of Andy's mom's car, and then it's written on the side of a box in A Bug's Life, and it's just all over the place. They come up with all sorts of crazy places to write this number. In Monsters University, it's actually on a door going into a classroom, which is interesting because it's in reference to a classroom called A113 at the California Institute of the Arts, 
where they teach animation and graphic design and where John Lasseter, the CEO of Pixar, went. And because of that, he's included it in nearly every Pixar film. And there are other students who went there that also include it in some of their work. But specifically, John Lasseter is the one putting it in all the Pixar movies. There was one interesting one in the movie Brave. They used Roman numerals since it's supposed to take place a long time ago. So it says CXIII instead of 113. But they put a 113 into every film in one way or another. So in The Good Dinosaur, someone finally found it, and it's part of the chicken coop fence. So if you're looking for it, you see it when Arlo is going into the chicken coop, and it's part of the fence, like some of those sticks that make up the fence look like A113, and it's just to the left of the gate when he's going into it. Pretty hard to spot. Even when they highlight it, you're like, I guess that's A113. And then... If you're like me, you look at all the other movies because you're like, is that real? It seems like they're making something up. (laughs) And this one is more of a shout out to a listener. It's from Frank via our Tumblr page. And Frank has an Etsy shop and sells dinosaur holiday cards. Yes, we're a little bit late on this one. But the cards are great and they feature T-Rex, Triceratops, Velociraptor, Brachiosaurus, Dilophosaurus and Parasaurolophus skulls, and they're they're wearing bows or Christmas lights or mistletoe. Very fun. You can get a jump start for holiday season 2016. (laughs) (laughs) And last of the news, I have to mention because I keep seeing this thing everywhere, and it's an inflatable T-Rex costume. So this week I saw at least five more videos of people wearing this T-Rex costume and doing all sorts of crazy things. The most impressive one so far is someone doing parkour in a gym. Then I found out why. So you can buy an inflatable T-Rex costume for about $70 to $100. And it's actually licensed from Jurassic World. And I think it came out around the same time as Jurassic World did. So I don't know how I missed it when it came out. But it's really fun to watch people doing all these crazy things. Since it's inflatable, it's very puffy. And the head is quite a bit above your own head. You see through the neck of the T-Rex. It stands just like Barney. You know, the tail's on the ground behind you and then the head's vertical. That way when you're walking around in it, it pretty much covers your whole body. It's got a small fan powered by four AA batteries to keep it looking like a dinosaur and not getting all deflated. I'm not sure exactly how comfortable it is inside it, but people seem to like it. If you can do... I'm watching the American Ninja Warrior clip right now, and it's impressive if you could do flips and jump onto multiple objects and swing. And Yeah, he does that. hit his head a little bit because it sticks up so high above his own head. That's true, and the, the T-Rex head gets a little bit floppy sometimes when yeah. he's landing. But it since it's inflatable, I think it makes it easier to do stuff like that. If you're wearing some rigid thing, it would probably knock you over if you hit the inflatable part. Including that head above your own head, it's 7 feet or 213 centimeters tall. It's 2 feet, 61 centimeters wide, and it has a 33 inch or 84 centimeter long tail. Because it's 7 feet and you look through the neck, it's probably too short for me since I'm 6'3", and it's probably too tall for Sabrina. (laughs) Oh no. That's a bummer. We might be able to make it work. We'll have to look at it. 
One purchaser wrote in her review, quote, we now have both T-Rex and Godzilla costumes. And this is how disagreements will now be handled from now till the end of time. Let the good times roll. That's amazing. (laughs) I think that's pretty awesome. I think we should follow that. It does sound fun. I'd rather get two T-Rexes or maybe a T-Rex and like an Indominus Rex, but I don't know if they sell that one. Yeah, if they have another dinosaur. So it looks like they're out of stock at most places and they're definitely very popular because I see these videos everywhere. We've been posting a few of them too on our social media networks. Yeah. And because of that, the price has gone from about $70 up to about $100. And even with that, it's out of stock almost everywhere. And we'll post a link to this parkour one I found today because it's by far the most impressive. It's impressive enough to be able to do those moves without a costume on. Yeah, that's what makes it really great. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now on to the dinosaur of the day, Tyrannotitan. And this is a special request from Cole, who requested it via Facebook. And he specifically requested that we post our episode today because today, January 28th, is his birthday. So happy birthday, Cole. Hope you have an awesome day and you have some time to spend with some dinosaurs. (laughs) And, you know, friends and family, too, but also dinosaurs. (laughs) So the name Tyrannotitan means Tyrant Titan. And it was a bipedal carnivore that lived in the early Cretaceous in what is now Argentina. The species name is Tyrannotitan 
chubutensis, and the species name refers to the Chubut province in Argentina where the fossils were found. It was described in 2005 by Fernando Novas, Sylvina de Valle, Pat Vickers Rich, and Tom Rich. A fragmentary skull and lower jaw was found as well as teeth and a partial postcranial skeleton. The holotype also included teeth, back vertebrae, proximal tail vertebrae, ribs, humerus, ulna, a nearly complete femur, fibula, neck vertebrae. So it's a theropod, and it was closely related to Carcharodontosaurus and Gigantosaurus, as well as Mapusaurus. Along with Acrocanthosaurus, it's the oldest known giant Carcharodontosaurid in North America. It had small forearms, like a Tyrannosaurid, but it was not a Tyrannosaurid. We know this because South America, at the time that Tyrannotitan lived, was isolated from North America and Africa. Some scientists think that Tyrannotitan could actually be the same as another Carcharodontosaurid from South America, but for now it's considered its own genus. Tyrannotitan was about 40 feet or 12.2 meters long, though Gregory Paul estimated in 2010 that it might have been 43 feet or 13 meters long. It weighed over 6 tons, and it's different from other Carcharodontosaurids because of its lack of pneumaticity, which are air spaces and bones, in the hip and tail vertebrae, so it had no air pockets to help reduce its weight. Its teeth were not as developed as other Carcharodontosaurids. There were no clear curves to help with slicing, but the shape was similar to the shape of Allosaurus teeth. It had these chisel-like denticles on its teeth. So these denticles had grooves that divided them, which would have helped to tear into flesh. And that's different from other teeth of later dinosaurs that had curved teeth with serrated edges. So they think that maybe Tyrannotitan's teeth were kind of experimental. <laughs> the teeth, though... We're still good for stripping flesh from dead prey, just not as good for crunching bones. In May 2014, it was reported that there was a dinosaur graveyard of huge titanosaurs along with over 50 Tyrannotitan teeth on the La Flecha farm in Patagonia, Argentina. If you'd like to see Tyrannotitan, you can see one in the Museum of Paleontology Egidio Fergulio in Patagonia, Argentina. Also in the Jurassic World Park Builder game, you can create a Tyrannotitan if you want to see a, a play version. Just don't pay like $4,000 for it. Yeah, like a, the one seven-year-old boy from the UK. <laughs> so Tyrannotitan is a Carcharodontosaurid, and Carcharodontosaurid's name means shark-toothed lizards, and they were carnivorous theropods. Ernst Stromer named the family in 1931, and the family includes Gigantosaurus, Maposaurus, Carcharodontosaurus, and of course, Tyrannotitan. They were all about the same size or larger than T-Rex. And Carcharodontosaurids, as well as Spinosaurids, were the largest predators in Gondwana in the early and middle Cretaceous. Yeah, they're basically the South American counterpart to the Tyrannosaurids, like Sabrina was saying. And our fun fact of the day is about astronomy a little bit and how it interacts with dinosaurs. I just learned our solar system isn't always in the same position within the Milky Way galaxy. It's actually orbiting the Milky Way center very quickly, and it's moving about 52,000 miles an hour, or 84,000 kilometers an hour, and it takes about 200 million years to make a full orbit. So it's going super fast, but it takes so long because the Milky Way is so huge. And possibly, I say possibly because there's a bit of controversy, according to Mass Extinctions and the Structure of the Milky Way by 
M.D. Filipovic and others, there may be a link between our solar system passing through the spiral arms of the Milky Way and our mass extinction events on Earth. Also, maybe not. Depends who you ask. But it's pretty cool to think about if dinosaurs were wiped out by going through this one arm of the Milky Way galaxy, and then you can imagine in another 140 million years you'd be headed back to that same deadly part of the galaxy. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening, and if you want to support our podcast, you enjoy the show, then please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash I Know Dino. Until next time. Good day.